1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Clear the Cash. I'm your host, Nate List. You can find me on Twitter at you And, of course, with me, as always, is Mr. Jesse Bach. You can find him on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. And it's not typical that we do interviews uh, with this short of a frequency in between them. But this week, with the information released that many of you may not know yet because it was done on social media and not on this podcast, we announced that the dot-com, clearthecash.com, is live at this point. But not live in the sense that probably many of you are hoping. But that's why we wanted to bring on... Uh, One of the co-founders of this project, Ethan Motz, you can find him on Twitter at Ethan Motts tonight on this show so that we could get his thoughts on it. And I want you guys to really get to know who he is because this is like Jesse, one of the most educated people in this field. And I think he's going to bring a lot to the table. So Ethan, what's going on, man?
2: Nate, I appreciate it, man. What's going on? Just happy to be here chatting with you guys and uh, getting the word out. And there's a lot of exciting stuff that we've been working on uh, in the background. It hasn't manifested yet where everybody can see it and experience it and utilize it, uh, you know, but it's right around the corner. It's going to be fun. Uh, excited to be chatting with you guys.
1: We mentioned your name last week. So this is certainly not the first time that listeners of this show have heard your name last week. Jesse laid it out. Just kind of some of, some of your accolades, some of what it is that interests you and what you do. And and Jesse texts me all the time and he's like, dude, Ethan is is a monster. Ethan, this, you know, it tells me a lot of stuff that you're working on and kind of what your deep dives are. And I know personally from the assistance that you've helped me with with these, you know, uh, eBay articles that we're working on, um, you're, you're one of the most tireless workers that I've ever run into. And I want to say it's it's attributed to passion for the industry, right?
2: 100%. Yeah, it's, it's something that's uh, consumed me. Uh, you know, I, I think about it all the time. I, I don't sleep much to begin with, so I, I like to apply that time doing something. Uh, as you know, you know, up late, uh, up early, you know, so uh, this is something that's really taken over for me, you know, especially the last like year or so um, and just getting back into it, it's been so much fun. It's something I never thought I'd be doing, uh, you know, a couple years ago, right? But a lot of us, you know, like most of us getting back into it, this resurgence has been awesome and, um, you know, it's something that's really kind of gripped everything I've been doing uh, and I'm obsessed, you know, there's no other word to, to really, to, you know, describe it but that. Uh,
1: I think that's what I've told people when the few people that knew about this project, I was like, they're like, do you think that, you know, do you think that Jesse and Ethan are, are, are good fits for this project? I'm like, I'm like, these guys are Ferraris. I'm like, these are, these two guys are like so interested and inundated and obsessed with it. Like for those that have listened to the show, they clearly know Jesse's obsessed, right? You go to Jesse's IG, you hear him talk on the podcast. He's, he's entrenched. But that's really what we had hoped that people would would gather about you when this episode was over, is that this website that we're working on is certainly passion driven. And a lot of people know about Jesse, but many people don't know about you. So, like, I mean, day to day or just going back in time a little bit here, like what what is driving you in this market? What are your interests? What's kind of keeping you going?
2: Yeah, great question, and uh, it's a funny side note. You know, now my phone for I don't know how long months. Anytime I go to send a message, or make a call, it instantly you know it suggests things on the banner's up at the top. It's like you know, do this, go to this application. It's like send message to Jesse Bach. I'm like ah, it knows, <laughs> it knows me too well. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean the, the real reason I started obviously getting back into it, like most people that you know have gotten back into the hobby recently, did it as a kid. I, I loved sports growing up. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this about me. I'm Romanian, so when my parents came over from, uh, you know, Romania, they had nothing. Literally, came with uh, the clothes on their back, and that was it. Um, you know, and, and communist Romania wasn't fun. Uh, so when they came over, we didn't have much, right? We were very poor. Um, you know, and my dad did everything he could to, you know, teach us and raise us. And uh, one of the big things that we really focused on was sports. You know, because uh, it was so much fun to do as kids. You know, I had a lot of cousins, and sports have always been a passion. Uh, and my dad's an artist, as uh, some of you guys may have known, um, but, you know, the the kind of amalgamation of sports, which is something I'm very passionate about, and art uh, in the sense of these cards, right, and the designs and all the cool things that they're doing over at Panini Tops, all these different manufacturers, I think was the perfect combination, and then couple that with, you know, I, I love markets, I love, you know, economics, you know, money, things like that, just studying about it, learning about it, and I think that kind of uh, trio of different things was something that uh, fit together perfectly and that's the thing that drives me it's just so much fun because it captures so many things that i'm passionate about in general to have it all in one place and uh you know one community is just uh, you know an added bonus
0: uh ethan you mentioned you mentioned the like how much that this hobby has kind of like overtaken you for the time being obviously like website aside this is more like just for people who are thinking about jumping in. Um, if you if you dive in head first, this is not a hobby anymore. This is an addiction. So, Ethan, um, I know you're in the addiction, just like I'm in the addiction. Um, it's it's honest honestly one of the best things that has ever happened to me, um, and I it's just something that I take literally hours out of my day outside of my like. Outside of work, outside of sleep, whatever, I I literally lose sleep over this type of stuff, and it's and like if people really like people close to me that know me know that I like sleep, um so like if I'm if I'm happy to lose sleep over this, um this is uh it's 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 something that's that's really that's really worth my time and Ethan I'm sure that that it's worth yours as well ever since you've jumped back in.
2: Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, it's it's changed the way I do a lot of things. You know, uh yeah, I'm in, I'm in sales, right? I, I sell. Uh, I'm in staffing consulting, but even some of these principles that I've picked up and, and kind of, uh, you know, things from learning markets, understanding how people operate just uh, from an emotional level, things like that, you know, it's really helped me translate that into how I sell, right? Just because I understand, you know, what drives people. And like you said, uh, I mean, it's been a, a huge thing for me, just learning experience in so many ways that I never thought I'd be doing, but it's, uh, it's been fantastic.
0: Ethan, what kind of, what, what made you jump back in? Like what avenues did you, did, did you find appealing in addition to the, the cards themselves, the art that's on the cards, obviously, like we're both big Kaboom fans and, and big like Panini insert fans and older insert fans. Um, what, what is it that like made you jump back into the hobby or how did you find yourself like operating in the hobby at first when you jumped back in, um, like whenever that time was?
2: Yeah. So, uh, I mean the big thing that I did to start, I just kind of got back into looking overall, like, you know, what's out there, right. Just understanding a little bit, uh, more about, you know, the different sets, things of that nature. Cause you know, when I was a kid, right, I'm, I'm going to be 30 in, in a month or so. When I was a kid, they didn't have anywhere near as many inserts or parallels or things like that, right? A lot of those cards are very simplistic in nature. Uh, A lot of the sets weren't as expansive, right? You didn't have all kinds of variations, things like that. So it was a lot cleaner and simpler in that regard. So, you know, I I happened to pop in. We have a couple local card shops here in Atlanta, so I popped into one. And just had a bunch of questions to start, right? I think you know, I'm just an inquisitive, curious person as, you know, just generally speaking. So ask some questions, right? Try to get a better understanding, you know, product lines, uh, you know, understanding which ones are, um, you know, the better ones, which ones have higher upside, things like that. And just trying to understand and gather information. I think if you have knowledge and information, you're equipped to make better decisions. So, you know, I, I did a little bit of that and then I got carried away, right? I wanted everything, right? Like you said, the addiction and, and obviously that nostalgia played a factor into it. So, uh, you know, I started to get a little crazy, right? Cause you know, you get into something, you get giddy, right? You're like a little kid in a candy store and you want everything and you start popping, you know, gumballs, candy, like crazy. And then all of a sudden you get a sugar high and you crash. You're like, Oh, I probably shouldn't have done it that fast. So, um, you know, like that's, that's one thing that, uh, that I, I learned from that, you know, just, to slow down, uh, you know, because I'm generally, you know, like I said, curious, and quizzed, cautious to start with. You know, want to learn really what I'm dealing with before I make any kind of decisions. But you know, those are the big things coming back into it. I just I wanted to gather more information around all you know the different factors I could before I started making any kind of decisions and, and movements on cards, things like that.
1: Look, Ethan, the market is is obviously hot right now. I mean, you are absolutely entrenched in what's going on with it. When you look at the purchases that you're making, or the cars that you're chasing, are you finding yourself right now on the spectrum of more like PC purchasing or like building to flip? Like where are you at at this time?
2: You know, it's a bit of both. Um, and I think you have to have similar to, and I know uh, this is going to trigger Matt, but you have to have shares of, uh, you know, <laughs> you investments, <did> it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I tell you. Yeah. I wasn't even subtle about it, which, uh, um, but uh, no, you have to have uh, exposure to, I think a number of different, you uh, you know, cards in different uh, categories, avenues, right? So you could PC some stuff and generally, you know, people PC cards of players that, you know, whether they went uh, to the same college or whatever reasons, right? More than the emotional side. And and that's something that, you know, I do have certain cards like that, that you know, factor in the nostalgia, you know, design where I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is unique, right? So that obviously factors into the the purchasing of those, but it's been a bit of both, right? Like I try to understand what people want that might also coincide with what I want. Right. And then if there's some kind of uh, edge or efficiency I can capture there, perhaps like, you know, leveling up into that particular player because the card I went after or, you know, is very sought after from, you know, most people, then I'll make that kind of decision. You know what I mean? So um, I think you have to be uh, flexible with things too, right? Because I want everything, but at the same time, I know I can't have it. So when I'm looking to make a purchase, I'm thinking, is this a good purchase long term, whether, you know, I want it or not? Uh, Is this something I think I can level up? if that time comes right. Or, you know, is it going to be something that uh, other people want as well? Right. Cause you know, PC stuff, it might be valuable to you, but not so valuable to others. So you have to be kind of walking a fine line there with both of those uh, kind of ideas or concepts in mind.
0: So Ethan, you, one thing you do really well is uh, you kind of just said it, you can't, you know, you can't necessarily PC everybody in the hobby unless if you're a multimillionaire or Nat Turner or whoever. Um, but one thing that you do really well that, uh, we can, we can definitely dive into a little bit more is, um, is you find something that you would like to own if you were to PC that player or that set or whatever, and be able to make a profit on that. Um, can you go through some of like, some of the parts of your process that you go through? Cause like... Dude, some of your, like, I'm, I'm being straight up, like some of your returns on investment with some of these moves that you've made, either buying raw and then grading or whatever, or just you just see something that's just a little bit too cheap um, and you just make a move on it and you know that dude, there's money to be made here. Can you go through like some parts of your process that, that you go through?
2: Yeah, for sure. And it, it's multifaceted and, and just not looking at a car itself, but like I, I like to equate it to different things and put context around what I'm doing. So imagine you're, you're out and about. Uh, you're not necessarily a car enthusiast or anything like that, but you happen to drive by somebody's yard and they've got a 69 Charger sitting there in pretty pristine condition, right? You know they haven't driven it a lot. Uh, you probably won't drive that car, right? For whatever reason. But you understand the relative value of that car. You understand that it's pretty exclusive at this point, right? It's hard to find it's very unique, right? You don't see these kinds of cars running around on the road very often. Uh, And usually those cars that you do see, right, from let's say the old school 60s and 70s muscle cars, usually they're enthusiasts around those cars and they love those things. And they'll go to, you know, extents far and wide to get what they really want. So same idea around the cars, right? I like to look at something like, you know, you can factor in uniqueness, uh, relative exclusivity, uh, design, right? Is this a cool card? Is it visually appealing? Cause the aesthetics play into it a lot, right? Like, and that's something that definitely draws me to it. So I'm, I'm assuming that that's probably the case with a lot of other people, but you know, you have to kind of factor in, and I like to assign percentages, uh, you know, of relative weight to these things to say, okay, if there are, and I know we'll probably get into some, some more content around print runs and, you know, relative value because of those. But for example, let's take select, right? And I know this has been discussed recently given some, you know, kind of shedding of light on the topic, but select has, I don't know how many one of ones for each player in each set, right? Like, and those runs have gotten longer and longer as the years have gone, you know, uh, gone on, right? So with this last year being pretty extensive. So let's say you do have a bunch of gold stuff, right? Okay, cool. One of one, same thing, you know, but, relative within all those different inserts, you have to assign tiers, right? To say like, okay, this is a gold out of 10, but is it the bottom tier or is it the top tier? So then you start to understand, right? Like, okay, relative to this tier, it's like you look at Christian McCaffrey and he falls into like tier four, tier five in the draft. You're like, I'm taking him. I I may not necessarily want to keep him, which would be asinine if you don't, but like, you know, you drop, you know, in value and you understand, okay, this is like a tier one card at a tier five price. I'm gonna pick it up, right? It might cost me a pretty penny. But I know because of the relative exclusivity that at some point people will come around to understanding, okay, these are really long print runs. So, like the top of the top tier is going to be exponentially more valuable just because of in context, everything else, it's ex- exclusive at a super level, if that makes sense. So that's one thing that, you know, I really look at.
1: Here's a question off of that. Cause I, and I've talked to Jesse about this to add nauseum. but a lot of our show is, is data driven. And I know that you're a data guy. I know Jesse is in on every every app website that that does data information because it's valuable this seems to be an industry where unlike fantasy football which is where many of us on this show have resided many of the fantasy football you know listeners and players use data nowadays it's it's less it's probably less relevant nowadays to be a guy that's just playing by pulse but with these cards when you talk about relative value because you have such experience and such understanding you know intimately about these tiers do you find yourself making purchases without data or do you go hey I'm looking at this Christian McCaffrey what is it sold for in the past you know what what's its high what's its low okay it's in this ballpark I'm going to buy or do you just know this is too low I'm going to buy
2: yeah so I mean I think it's it's pertinent to include data and, you know, make data informed, data driven decisions, right. Whenever possible, you don't want to just throw darts with, you know, your, your, blindfold on and hope to hit something. I think, you know, the saying goes, a blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then, and you know, cool, it does, but like, that's a bad process. Right. So generally I do try to find all the information I can, cause that information is valuable, right? The more, you know, that somebody else might not when making a decision, it gives you an edge. So I'll scour anything and everything possible. I'll go to, you know, uh, Facebook on the marketplace and just put out some, you know, messages just to see what people are selling and at what price, right? And I'll look at eBay. I'll look at card. I'll, you have, you know, card ladders, you know, market movers. You have all kinds of apps. Sports card investor, right? Like you can utilize all these resources, 130point.com. All that information is there, right? You have a big puzzle. You just have to put the pieces together and understand, you know, are there gaps missing, right? That we, we, we can exploit these price differences, you know, relative to value or is it just, You know, you don't want to. Basically, you don't want to just close your eyes and pick something and hope it hits, right? You want to have all the information you can when making these decisions. And and sometimes, yeah, you know, it's not going to pan out. But uh, I think having a refined process like that helps you make the right decision more often than not. And then, as you start to iterate through that process, you get to pick up you know, little nuanced things that you might not have caught on before. And that just continually refines and improves your process to where you become as efficient as possible.
0: Ethan, I wanted to add a little bit to relative value too, just because you've, you and I text almost on a daily basis. um, And you've, you've pointed things out to me that have really um, opened my eyes in terms of uh, like, especially this topic, Um, you'll see a certain parallel in select or prism or wherever of a player from the 2020 rookie class and you'll see that you were able to let's say it's like a jerry judy card right of a parallel that's either short printed out of 10 out of 20 25 30 whatever um and you'll you do a really good job of finding obviously like you you have a really good process of Fun, like comparing that player's parallel and how much it went for, or how much you purchased it for, and compare it to maybe players of a lesser, like uh, maybe players that aren't quite as good as that player. Like it, like for example, one example that I can think of that that you messaged me a couple of weeks ago, as I think there was like a Cosmic or a Zebra Jerry Judy from Select, and you said I got this for half the price of the same card of Tyler Johnson. So that's that's like a that's a really good um uh that's a, that's like a really good example I guess of like understanding relative value of even player to player. So is that like the I'm I'm assuming that is like a big part of your strategy of when you're looking at a certain parallel you're you're not just looking at that player's cards you're looking at other other players cards in the same draft class I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that's the whole you know anybody that doesn't tear out their players their rankings whatever and really have like a true distinguished 1a 1b 1c right i think you're missing opportunity there to really hone in on you know because i'm the type of person i like to have a stack ranking like define one two three four there's no like i have two at one now you're like one more than the other relatively right like when you have a gun to the back of your head you're going to pick one you know who you're going to pick one who's coming to right so same idea here with different rookies let's say from this class right Um, you know, I could look at Tyler Johnson, for example, that cosmic field level sold for, I don't know, 200 bucks, which I thought was, okay, this is crazy. Tyler Johnson barely got on the field. Yeah, sure. They won a Super Bowl, whatever. But if I look at somebody like T Higgins cards, same thing in dynasty, right? Or whatever fantasy football format you're playing. If you want to look at that way, you know, relatively speaking, Tyler Johnson, you're getting, you know, peanuts on the dollar for that guy. If you're trading him T Higgins, you're gonna have to pay a pretty penny, right? So if I see T Higgins price. On that card, half of it's half of what uh, the Tyler Johnson sold for. It's asinine not to take it, right? Like you have to capture that value. Just like again, if somebody falls, you know, down the draft board, you might necessarily love that guy, but if it's a value where you can extract, you know, picks or players that uh, net you a huge return, yeah, you do it absolutely. So that's I think the process for me, right? Like looking at the different rookies, uh, you know, in each class and understanding like this is my one A or my my number one, my number two, three, four, right? And then you maybe have a little bit of. Distinction you have to kind of clarify between tiers and all that, but that's generally how I go about it, is making sure that I truly understand who's in each position and where I'll draw the line for value, and that's how I'll make purchases a lot of times.
1: This is what we talk about on this show. I mean, this listening audience is a fantasy football audience, right? This is a fantasy football network. Somehow we've just ascended to the the top of it and not gotten zero listens because apparently people enjoy this show. But we bring on guests like you, and you once again shed light on a topic that Jesse and I talk about so often, which is if you're obsessed with cards, that's that's obviously a huge advantage because we're talking cards. If you're obsessed with fantasy football, that's already a super massive advantage entering the card space because your understanding of what the guy's odds are of success or, hey, the pulse on him is really low. Like your baseline coming into it. I, I talk about this with like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. New guys that come in that had no background in, in wrestling or anything else, they had a really big hill to climb to learn and be successful. But the guys that came in that had a wrestling base, they were, they were an impossible task right off the bat, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Because they have that core foundation. I think that really gives you an edge. Like Think about, I'm, I'm just as hardcore and as much of a degenerate when it comes to fantasy football as I am with cards. I mean, I scour information wherever I can. I go to player profiler all the time, right? Because I want to understand these nuances and, and really understand, okay, am I getting a good value on this player in a trade, right? Or am I overspending? You know, you take all these factors into consideration. So the person that, you know, even the more casual fantasy gamer, they'll still understand, right? Like, I'd rather have this set of players over this set of players. So I think the big thing, the big takeaway is that a lot of that, I guess knowledge or input or whatever you're doing for fantasy football, you can translate it over and it's actionable in the cards space as well. And I, I don't want to tease too much right this second, but I think a lot of you guys are going to be uh, really thrilled with what we're going to do on the website around some of this stuff because again, you know, you want to have rankings of sorts and understand you know who has upside. Like look at Antonio Gibson, right? You know, he's being drafted. I don't know, late first, early second in most drafts, and he's got cmc upside and so you know somebody like that if you can understand and you can put context around the potential upside from a fantasy football case you can likely do the same thing with their cards and understand you know who the sleepers are that nobody else is really paying attention to but could have a massive impact who the overhyped players are right you know let's say uh McCole harvin right he gets that hype year to year oh finally this is the year this is the year this is the year is it? I don't think so. You know, like maybe, but probably not. So understanding that if you have you know opportunity to sell when these guys are still hyped and they still have that insulated value, that's when I would be selling, right? So understanding these things from a fantasy perspective, I think is not a hundred percent correlated one for one. You know, with with cards, but I think there's a huge like positive, strong correlation, almost you know one for one, but not quite. But that's what's gonna you know allow these people that. Understand fantasy to kind of easily translate and come into the card space with with a lot of foundation behind them, you know.
1: So, before we dive into any of the website stuff, because you you have teased that you've you've taken the cork out of it, we can't put it back in the bottle now. We're definitely going to talk about this because I think there's some some awesome information that we can give people. But we're, we're talking about a lot of positives, and you and I have talked off show in the past about some of. Some of growing in the card industry is negatives, is taking losses, is learning how to cut you know, uh, out from something that you know is going sour or you're too invested in. In situations like that or in that topic in general, do you have some thoughts on just like the, the negative side of things?
2: Yeah, probably too many to, to list here, but I definitely think just as a whole, you know, lessons learned and kind of uh, mistakes made, things like that don't get discussed enough or even, you know, uh, they're, they're very underrated, undervalued. I don't think people see the value in even looking at those mistakes. They, you know, this is human nature, right? Like if you do something where you're like, eh, probably was not the most, uh, you know, genius idea, it's kind of silly, it's kind of dumb, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You don't want to revisit that. Your brain wants to put it away. Just shove it down there, shut up, you know, leave it alone. But there are a lot of lessons that, you know, can provide so much more value than a win might. And I'll give you an example, right? I think one big thing is understanding when to sell low or sell at a loss, right? And the big thing around this is that, and I'll put numbers, I'll put a scenario around it. Let's say you buy a card of, I don't know, uh, Jacob Eason, right? You get caught up in the hype, ah, you know, and uh, even last year, right? Like, you know, uh, they didn't figure out what was going to happen around their quarterback situation in Indianapolis. People went bananas with Jacob Eason, right? And they spend spent a ton of money on these cards, right? Let's say you bought in a little lower than what the market was going for, or, you know, relatively, you know, kind of in line. All of a sudden, news comes in that, you know, Jacob Deason's not the guy, right? You have all these factors to play in. All of a sudden, these card prices start dipping. So let's say you paid $1,000 for whatever gold card out of 10 Prism, and, you know, you could sell for 900 right now, right? Because there's still some kind of hope you know, maybe there's a UGA guy out there that really loves him, some Jacob Eason. I don't know, uh, but you have an opportunity to sell, and you're only losing hundred dollars. But you know what? You're like, eh. You know, I really think this card's going to pick back up. I'm going to hold for more. You know, hype later down the road. That might come. You know, a year down the road. And imagine what you could have done with that nine hundred dollars. You lost a hundred, but imagine the opportunity you have. Uh, you know, to sell at nine hundred and repurpose that money, right, as opposed to just sitting on it. And now you sit on it for a year, the time value money is just, is killing you, right? You're just sitting on it. You have no way of pushing it towards something else. All of a sudden a year goes by and then, okay, let's say you sell for $1,100 at that point, a year down the road, you've made $100 over the course of a year. Whereas I'd argue that you can even take that $900 and put it towards something and double, triple, quadruple your profit to offset that loss, right? So don't just sit there and hold unnecessarily, right? Like you have to understand, okay, this is a time I need to get out I'll take my loss I'll lose hundred dollars but I don't want to keep losing more I don't want it to be 500 six hundred 700 so now when you boil it down to something that simple and it's hard to contextualize and do that properly and objectively because you know we have our emotions tied into it right we're you know naturally we try to be optimistic like you know what this is gonna go back up I going to make tons of money maybe not you know like understand that and that's okay you know just understanding when to cut your losses like that to lose a hundred or 500, right, or whatever that number is. So that's one big thing I think a lot of people really don't see the value in, and I think it's just paramount for success.
0: I think um, selling for a loss is, you're you're absolutely right, it's very under-discussed. If you had the, if you bought a a card with the intention of making money on it in a relatively short amount of time, like especially if it's something as speculative as like a backup quarterback or something, um and it's not looking it's not looking in your favor and that that player's prices are dropping faster than you can imagine um it's it's not the worst idea to just get out and instead of losing maybe 90% of of your money you're losing 50% um and repurposing that money into somewhere that's far more um palatable or just something that makes far more sense even from a long-term perspective. Like I've heard I've heard very big sharp collectors um in this in this hobby who have you know speculated a little bit here or there or maybe at one point they were a fan of one player so they they went bananas and they spent 5 grand on um a bunch of their cards, a bunch of their higher end cards. Um, and they realize that at, at this point in time, they're not worth 25% of what they paid for them. Um, all of a sudden, they see something else that really uh, speaks to them and it would speak to them either financially, makes a lot of sense financially, let's say it's like a Michael Jordan card or something or who or whoever, like a goat. It, it's either a, goat, a card of a goat who either they respect and want to have in their PC and don't have the desire to sell for for a long period of time or just a card that they want to hold for a while and because inevitably it will go up in value just the more and more bull markets that cards are going to have in the future the more the more this card's going to go up in value i've heard i've heard those people sell at like i said 25 percent of what they paid for and and have a smile on their face at the end just because they're able to put that money towards someone they actually truly care about who they want to stash away in their PC or just hold for 10, 20, however many years because they know that they're putting that money in a much more sound space for them. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think cash is king. So, you know, if you have capital, you have a bunch of different options you can choose from. You have so many more ways you can go with it and you're now in a position of power and control to do whatever and manipulate however you want to, right, on, on certain prices, whatever, right? the lack of that capital artificially handcuffs you, right, in so many ways. And so, you know, if I don't have cash to go after something that might just show up every once in, I don't know, three, five years, right, and I won't have the opportunity to get anytime soon, if I don't have that cash to make that purchase, you know, I'm really killing my upside. And again, you know, upside, I think, is something that people want, but they don't take the necessary means to understand and capture it fully like they should. You know, like you said, even... Uh, you know, another lesson learned that you can kind of tie to this, maybe taking the loss right on something that, you know, might be small as opposed to taking a larger loss is, you know, understanding when to sell to and profit from something, you know, sometimes people get greedy, right? Or, you know, hold out for even more profit and they don't want to take that really solid profit, right? Like imagine if I told you you could get 50% returns, 30% returns, 20% returns on anything, you'd be all over that, right? So it doesn't always have to be a home run to get you to the cards and to the, you know, upgraded levels of cards that you want, right? Like you have to understand that profits here and there will help build that capital, which will help you go after better cards with higher upside. And now you have more play money, right? So you have the freedom to go do what you want. You're no longer tied to, you know, these small like, eh, I really, really hope, I hope I hit something, but it's more methodical. It's more process oriented and you can actually do this and go after what you want rather than just hoping like, oh, I hope this card goes up. And, you know, it's kind of driven a little bit on luck, which is not what you want to do.
1: I really feel like you're talking to Travis Fulgham fantasy owners right now. Is that why you brought this <laughs> up? Was this a, a direct shot to them?
2: I mean, pretty much. I mean, think about it. If you, if you still have Travis Fulgham on your fantasy rosters, please show yourselves. I, I I mean, if you did not take that second round pick somebody was offering you last year, I mean... And then move that second round pick to upgrade to a first round pick and get, I don't know, uh, anybody solid. I mean, you could have, I'm not a big Jalen Waddle fan, but let's say you get Jalen Waddle with that first that you now uh, upgraded to with that second from Travis Fulgham. You could package him off for, I don't know, any solid receiver and, you know, get the guy you really want. But what is Travis Fulgham ever going to do on your roster? You know, like, nothing.
1: Yeah. I mean, even even for people right now that are so down on Kadarius Tony, I would still rather have Kadarius Tony right now than Travis yep. Fulgham. Fulgham's toast. Okay, it, it, I think about this. People are gonna. I'm gonna get tweets about this. People are pissed off that I doubled down on the commentary about this on Twitter. But it's like exactly what you're saying. Like you, sometimes you have to take a loss, and or you have to understand the upside is artificial. What we're seeing is not real in cards. It's hype. In fantasy football, it's, hey, we had a bunch of injuries. There were no other options. Travis Fogan was being heavily targeted. It wasn't even that he was just being heavily targeted. It was un- There was no way to substantiate or carry that. Yeah. yeah. It, like this was going to dissolve all along. So recognize that at some point, even if, even if he maintains a role, it won't be this role. It'll be a lot less than this role. So why not take it right now? Take these profits and get out. And probably, Ethan, your answer would be because people have this, like, when a guy's on your roster, independent of other leagues where he's on someone else's roster, when he's on your roster, he's more valuable. Yeah,
2: of course. And, and, oh, man, this is the most dangerous game that people can play. It's the what if game, right? Like, what if this guy uh, continues this, right? Oh, cool. All of a sudden, I picked up this guy off waivers for $0 of fab. And now I have, you know, a top 12 producer at this right Let's go back, paint a picture of this scenario. Like you mentioned, right, last year, everybody was injured, right? Uh, That offense, offensive line was a mess. It was just abysmal overall. And in this certain situation, this guy happens to be, you know, the only man standing, you know, that's going to catch passes. What do you expect? Of course he's going to put up numbers for a few weeks. But when things normalize and get back to what people expect from, you know, let's play our first-round draft capital guys, you know, our our injuries are are no longer a concern. What do you you really expect, right? Like, what if you know? What if he does? But what's the likelihood? Do you really want to bet on an outlier there? Like, that's probably the lowest, you know, probability bet that you could make. It's just nonsense to do that, you know. You know, it's kind of like the Family Guy episode where uh, Peter, you know, can pick the boat or he could pick the mystery box. Yeah,
1: that's right. It could be a boat in the box. (laughs) Yeah, it could
2: be a boat. Exactly, it could be a boat in the box. Why don't you just pick the boat at that point? You know exactly what you're getting, you know. So enough of this you know like what if this person does things so just be rational be logical about it you know maybe it happens but what's that percentage right again attributing percentages to things of likelihood and you know don't go big fat round numbers be like very very precise like it's 1% 0.7% what is that number it's very low either way
0: i think to translate this back into cards um people love the idea of being right on a gamble Um, So I think that's why that's like that kind of ties into prospecting a little bit um, just because like guys, not everybody can hit. But um, if if there is if if you believe a wide receiver four on a team could be the wide receiver one as as a result of whatever talent, um, just everybody in front of them on the depth chart getting injured, whoever you pick up their their gold prism for like 20 bucks when they're nobody. And they were like a fifth round pick or something in this past year's draft, um, and all of a sudden they're the wide receiver one going into this week's matchup against the worst secondary in the league, and they sell it for ten x because whatever, like that someone else has that speculation, like oh my god, this guy's gonna go for like two hundred yards and four touchdowns this week. They're gonna have a Will Fuller game. Um, that I don't know, like people just love being right about stuff like that, and I. I don't, I don't like, I don't know. I don't know if that feels better for people to be right on that as opposed to just holding on to like an already valuable card and just holding it. And like, I mean, I know it sounds boring, but like financially you're going to do like so much better than, than you ever would flipping like a Travis Fulgham gold prism. I don't know.
2: A hundred percent. And I think that also has to do a lot with, okay, sure. Let's say you truther for a guy and you're all about it. And when he finally breaks out and the Cinderella story comes complete, you are the happiest person. You're like, yes. However, like as cool as that is, it's not anywhere near as cool as being right more often than not making profits and then really going after, you know, whatever cards or, or players you want. Right. Like that's why a lot of times, I have these guys that I love, you know, coming out of college that I really want to hit. They never do for a number of reasons, right? Like draft capital. I wish teams would, you know, take more shots on guys in the you know fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, because there are probably some gems out there that are working at you know whatever place they are right now, car salesman, whatever, just because they never got the shot that they should have gotten, because of draft capital, something as silly as that, right? And so a lot of times these franchises indicate what they want to do with their players, and it doesn't matter how good that seventh rounder might be they're probably not going to get a lot of playing time. I'm not going to invest in that guy, right? Where I, you know, if you look at the top 24 receivers right now, let's say, you know, in, in fantasy football, there are, what, two of them that they finished in the top 24 that were drafted outside of the third round? Uh, you got, what, Stephon Diggs in, what, the fifth round, right, and Thielen was undrafted? Like, your odds are not very good, right? The percentages are not very good there. So why not make sometimes the more, what you want to call, boring play, but it's the right play. You know, it's going to give you the returns that you need to level up. It's going to allow you that, you know, freedom to get 10 of those Travis Fulgham gold cards later. If you really, really want them, you know what I mean? So like, that's why you have to put tiers around this again. I think that's the hardest thing to do a lot of times and just stack rank them in an objective way.
1: I want to talk a little bit about the website, Ethan, because I think that a lot of what we want to do at the website is going to create opportunities and tools for people with this exact topic in mind. Like, Get out of this player or this card. like We want to do that kind of stuff. But before we talk about it, I want to make sure that we mention our show sponsor. We have to do that. will obligate obligated every episode. Matt Kelly will call me, email me. He'll blow up every form of communication that I have. So, guys, our show sponsor is, of course, Underdog Fantasy. Download the app today. Use the promo code UNDERWORLD. Get $25 bonus cash for new players who deposit. Listen, at the website, we have plans of tools and I don't think that this is, we're going to be able to explain in entirety what it is we plan to do, but Ethan it in your most briefest of of terms, if it's possible, what do you foresee the website to be an offer to people in the future?
2: Oh boy, I'm going to try to compartmentalize as best as I can. Think of the most dynamic uh, putting together of actionable content, information, forums, things of that nature where, Let's say you want to look after a PC guy. You can filter whatever criteria to find information about their cards. You know, fantasy stats could be you know, uh, aligned with that so you can understand production around that. And it's going to give you uh, essentially an equation a formula with all kinds of different factors in there to give you relative upside, uh, risk, things of that nature where you can get a better understanding around that player You know, is this something that's a good bet? Is it a bad bet? And you'll have all the tools and information to sort through whoever you want, however you want, for whatever information you're looking for to help you make decisions around those particular players. It could be around sets and we'll have uh, forums for, uh, there are a lot of bright minds out there. And I think, you know, that's something that is one thing I love about the hobby, the connections you can establish with these people, right? And have that kind of avenue for buying and selling uh, in a trusted environment. Another big thing that we're really looking forward to is everybody has, uh, when it comes to fantasy, you have rankings of sorts, right? And, you know, redraft rankings, dynasty rankings, and, you know, it it helps you kind of break things down because there's a lot of information to process, a lot of things to to kind of look at when you're making decisions. So we'll have tools around that as well to help folks understand, you know, is this something that I would invest in long-term, short-term, and really understanding you know, how to leverage certain, you know, players' cards, uh, you know, understanding, you know, how to take a business-minded approach to some things, if that's something you're looking for. Uh, We have so many things that we're going to look to do with more evergreen content, right? Let's say, you know, I'm joining the hobby back from 20 years ago, right? So I'll have something that, you know, that I can go to to start with to kind of whet my appetite and then just evolve from there and it'll give you all kinds of avenues we're going to have all kinds of things, even for, you know, the junior collectors out there, you know, uh, let's say kids, right? You know, all the arguments around, you know, kids can't get back into the hobby today because things are so expensive or whatever arguments you might have. We're going to have an avenue for, you know, kids to come in as well and join this awesome hobby in a very cost-effective manner. It's just going to be so many things that we're doing around uh, tying together the fantasy community, you know, young collectors, collectors of old and providing actionable content that, it's really going to you know keep you going and, and really drive you to that kind of obsession stage that Jesse was talking about, and it's going to be awesome.
1: Jesse, I I know that you've you've obviously been heavily involved with all the ideas that we've come up with thus far on the website, and kind of to Ethan's points, what he's talking about now, very much align with a big listening audience for us, which is fantasy gamers taking what it is. They already understand the tools that they're used to seeing now, sort of turning some of those tools into card related functions where they can use them different ways. Cause I bring up the Travis Fulgham example a little while ago and it's like, there's only one Travis Fulgham in a dynasty league. And you know that he's probably going to be an eventual turd. So you sell him, but in the card world, it would be the equivalent of there being like, 50 different Travis Folgums in your league, right? Because you've got gold, you've got these different parallels, you've got numbered cards, you have whatever. So understanding kind of earlier what Ethan had mentioned, tiers and different values. We want to help people also understand the value in different tiers and different styles of cards and what makes them more valuable over other stuff. But in terms of kind of what we're mentioning about the website, was there something that maybe Ethan didn't hit that you were thinking about that we were talking about earlier in
0: design? Um, I think in terms of the rankings, it's gonna be the so essentially we're gonna organize and build an algorithm that would essentially determine how collectible that player is. Like it's not just it's it's in addition to the valuation system, it'll like cardboard is. You'll have parallels with fantasy, but you can't you can't necessarily. Uh, compare it in a one-to-one version with fantasy football just because if we did if we did that out of all modern players then um Christian McCaffrey would have the most expensive cards in football and that's that's not the case just because you've you've had players you still have goats that are playing currently in this league that are fifth sixth seventh round picks in redraft leagues so um but we're definitely gonna have we're gonna you know build an algorithm that will that'll have several different factors some of which that ethan mentioned that will kind of help determine how collectible from from a short intermediate long term perspective a certain player can be which i think can be really powerful um because we'll have you know i'll have people hit me up about this you know random wide receiver x um who maybe maybe in fantasy they're they're fairly relevant but but in cardboard, um, that you know, there you could still have some of their more expensive cards for fifteen or twenty bucks a pop raw. Um, so that that might that might say a little. I mean, of course, there's probably some room to grow, but there might be a reason why they're not quite as relevant in the cardboard space. Um, But I think that's I'm like I'm probably that's one of the features that I'm most excited for to see myself, um, just like perfecting this algorithm, just to see like if there's actual plays that can be made from this, which I'm I'm more than confident there will be, um, just because there there are players that have been relevant in this league for a while, but for some reason their cards just haven't moved, Um, and like I'm like I'm I'm just kind of spitballing here, but. for a while larry fitzgerald was kind of known as like you know like you kind of knew what to expect from him but his cards were relatively affordable for a long period of time and now we're talking about like a potentially top five wide receiver of all time um in terms of like his longevity and how like you know how how long he's been consistent for in the nfl especially on one team which that's like if you're on one team that's that that does really well for your for your card value um so that's just kind of like one example. If we get some some player down the road that'll have kind of like that sort of project trajectory where, you know, they're staying on the same team, they're year in, year out, like you're expecting a thousand plus receiving yards from them and double digit touchdowns. Um, there's like I'm sure that algorithm is gonna help with those types of players. And even if even if there are players out there who aren't the cheapest right now, if you compare them to some of their to some of their colleagues and some of some of even all time greats, they still might be undervalued according to this algorithm. Um, so that's probably one of the more exciting things that, that I'm looking to I'm looking to see how it works out on our website, and I'm sure I'm sure the the, the user base will love it as well.
2: Yeah, and and to tie back into something you mentioned uh, earlier, Jesse, around uh, data driven data informed decisions. A lot of this information is going to be pulled real-time, so we capture data in the marketplace as it is right at that moment, and it gets factored into this equation, right? this algorithm, um, that gives you this actionable kind of content to understand things from uh, a global perspective, if you will. So you have everything real-time. You have all this information bundled up into one, and it will help really determine kind of where your actions can go from there.
1: We get asked all the time, I know Jesse does too, You know, hey, how do I how do I sell cards? How do what's the most valuable card? What's this? What's that? And you mentioned it earlier, but we want to have a bunch of this evergreen content. I mean, down in the most rudimentary side, like people that are just getting into the hobby, you can find A to Z information on the website, videos, articles, things like that that we plan to fill it out with. In addition to that, of course, we want to do a user-to-user marketplace where people can come as a trusted location to make deals on cards. The eventual plan, without releasing too much of what the plans are, is to eventually be Almost sort of the middleman in the deal where we can secure the transaction, secure the transfer of the card, make sure that with 100% certainty, it's a flawless trade. There is no concern that, oh, he didn't pay or it's not what I bought or this doesn't look like what it did in the picture. All of those things are going to be removed. I mean, even down to opportunities where how many times have we gotten messages where it's like, hey, man, I've got these five or six cards that my dad had growing up or this or that, like, what are they worth? You know, being able to evaluate people's collections and give you a relative understanding of, Hey, this is what we believe it's worth. This is what we believe we would sell it for. So it's going to be kind of a one-stop shop. And on top of that, what hasn't even been mentioned yet, Ethan is one of your other passions and things that you love is breaking, right? And that's something that we hope to do a lot of there as well.
2: Yeah. That's going to be something that we really get to do. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the kind of breaks that you see there, you know, they get the job done, but I think we're going to incorporate a lot of neat new features and, and kind of uh, just from an aesthetic perspective, uh, just from, um, you know, even something more around. And then Jesse and I uh, would talked about this a little bit last night, but uh, more of around some kind of incentive-based rewards type thing, uh, you know, from, from that perspective. Um, you know, having one-offs that uh, get supplemented to these breaks, additional kind of features or benefits or giveaways or razzes, whatever raffles, right, whatever it might be, uh, as part of these just to enhance that overall experience. Um, and so we've got a lot of cool things in the works around that as well. Uh, just, you know, from, from a, an aesthetic perspective, I think you guys are going to enjoy.
1: There's There's going to be a ton of tools, a ton of functionality. So for those of you that want to keep up with what's going on, um, go to clearthecash.com. There's an email sign up. Drop your email in there. We're going to write a bi weekly uh, newsletter that's just going to keep you posted on kind of what, what's going on with the project, where we're at. One of the first things we want to do is launch a forum, though. We want to create the user to user marketplace, uh, a place where people can start conversation. We have a Discord chat, which I've always posted links to, and we will link there as well. But Ultimately, the goal with this project is to help build this community, not just ours, but in the hobby in general. It's a very tight knit group and there's a lot of different places you can go. But with the rate at which this audience is growing and the like mindedness and the fantasy driven understanding, I think that this will be a really great place to kind of put people together and let them bounce stuff off each other and really create something special over there. Um, so that's the plan. Go to clearthecash dot com. Sign up, and we will start sending you guys more information as it comes to us. I, have you guys seen this information uh, about the fanatics news, Jesse? Uh, clearly, you must be aware of what's going on. Can you lay out for people potentially this this news that broke? Because apparently, this is massive, massive news, right?
0: We've dropped. We've been dropped. Uh, so many bombs have been dropped on our heads this week in the hobby that uh, I don't know how any of us can think straight honestly um, we thought that we thought PWCC was big um, so uh, I believe it was on Thursday August 19th it was announced that fanatics reached a deal with um, major league baseball uh, national the National Basketball Association and the National Football League and each of their respective player associations to uh for the um exclusive licensing rights to producing their cards starting all three of them by 2025 or 2026 um so this doesn't bode super well in the meantime for top or panini um obviously because you know they're obviously they're 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 kings of the manufacturing world in the card market um there's not much I can say that's not speculation, um, because that's literally all we know. So um, things haven't been looking too good for Tops ever since um, this, the the uh, the SPAC company, um, the spot company that helped Tops go public, um, has already backed out of their deal, their merger with Tops. Um, so I, you know, f- speculation for my end could be that fanatics. You know, it's not unreasonable for a company that's that's uh, worth 18 billion dollars. Um, we're talking tens of billions of dollars in the in the sports card hobby, which is still an unreasonable amount of money even for the hobby, even for as hot as it's been. Um, it's not unreasonable for them to possibly purchase tops outright um and have essentially have like tops printing presses and everything like they, they still produce baseball cards or whatever i i don't know what if maybe tops is gonna go into other sports as well in addition to baseball if they're bought out by by uh, fanatics um what's interesting about this deal is that the players associations have uh, uh i think all three sports players associations have like a rooting interest in this deal so they'll essentially want in addition to the leagues they'll want obviously the card products from that that fanatics is producing to to do well um but uh in terms of panini there there's there's nothing that's yet set in stone with panini they still have their basketball and football licenses going through i believe 2025 for both of them i want to say um I mean, we'll, we'll see like the P- tops tops valuation pre pre uh, fanatics deal was like over $3 billion. Um, obviously it's dropped now since, since the Spock company has dropped out of the deal with them. And Panini was probably looking around there too. They're realistic, prob- realistically probably around 3 billion as well. Who's to say that fanatics doesn't acquire both and that they just kind of keep producing the same products that they've pr- been producing just under the fanatics name. Um, we it's there's there's just so much to unpack and it's so much of it, so much of it's, so it's going to be just pure speculation um but this is probably the biggest news this this trumps any any record breaking sale this trumps any any controversy in the hobby like this this is probably the biggest shoe that's going to drop in maybe in the hobby's history um, just cause it's, it's so, une- so unexpected with, especially with how long tops has been producing baseball cards for, for like 70 years. Um, so, uh, it's, it's very clearly a big deal. Um, if, if cards aren't mainstream now in five, five years from now, they're going to be mainstream as fuck. Like we already see how much fanatics advertises now in the middle of an, a 32nd NBA break. We're gonna see sports cards on those commercials now. Like, believe it. It's gonna happen. I mean, we're we're a little bit of we're a ways away from it. We're probably five years away from it. Um, but it's the the sports card space is probably it, it's going to be looking far more mainstream than it is even right now. Like, we're at, we're at the point right now where Fanatics obviously has deals with MLB, NBA, NFL. What? It, honestly, pro- probably NHL. I'm I'm not sure. I don't follow hockey as much right now, but um for for their um for their apparel for the, they have like the, the licensed apparel over there who's to say that they don't you know build a sports card shop in every baseball uh, and football stadium and every NBA arena in the country um that's sponsored obviously obviously under their control um who's to say that we don't see sports card commercials every 5 minutes on TV in the future so it's i mean it's it's pure speculation uh that's really all we can do right now but this like everything that we know about the hobby has um like we don't know what's going to happen in five years uh nope like nobody knows what's going to happen but this is the biggest piece of news that anyone could have honestly imagined
1: it's it's huge news i mean obviously it's super huge news first off I, I would like to point out the fact that Jesse an hour into the show you're the first person to drop an F-bomb. so kudos to you for successfully <laughs> shoehorning that in. We got that off the list. so that's good. Ethan, do you think that that this is good news for existing cards, cards that existed you know the modern day cards today and, and going back in time. knowing that if Jesse's right that five years from now this could be an ultra mainstream hobby. is that good for all the other cards?
2: I, th- I think so, and and there are obviously a lot of implications that are far-reaching that we probably won't see manifest for years, right? But I think the key to understanding, you know, uh, or, or I'd say the key to this whole idea is trying to get ahead and understanding where things likely will go down the road. So let's look at Fanatics, right? They're eighteen billion dollar company. They're probably going to do you know some more moves, you know, maneuvering, if you will, to Get a further hold on, you know, strong hold on things in the marketplace, right? Uh, whether it be acquiring, um, you know, Panini uh, or Tops, right. And then let's say they do reprint or just have Panini and, and Tops kind of just operate as as usual, right? Nothing changes. But let's say for whatever reason, um, you know, they, they do away with Panini and Tops cards. They say no more. What happens to Panini and Tops cards now, right? Especially the shorter printed ones, the really exclusive ones, inserts. What happens if Kabooms go away? That would be devastating for a lot of people, right? Myself included. I love kabooms. So now imagine if there are no more kabooms. Now that the, the fact that those are probably not going to be reproduced for any time in the long, 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 long future, right? It's far away, distant future, right? What does that happen? You know, what what, what happens to those card prices? They're going to go. They're going to go up like crazy, right? Because they're not being reproduced. Uh, they're already exclusive to begin with. They're really, really cool from a design perspective. They're you know captivating, in my opinion, right? Because you couple uh, comics, right? With sports, and you kind of have a cartoony feel about it. Incredible, right? You're not going to have those anymore. So, just the sheer, I guess, fear that that might not be there might artificially drive up prices now. It might not, but I think as a whole, um, you know, the cards now, especially the more exclusive cards, are always going to be better bets long term. Because if you look at the late '80s, '90s, right? What was that play? Or what was that era called? There's a junk wax era, right? Because everything was overproduced. Uh, you know, a lot of cards are basically have no value at this point because everybody's got 10 of them you know so same thing now i think it's kind of being some overproduction of cards which means that relative to those larger you know base cards stuff like that the really exclusive stuff it's already sought after it's going to be sought after exponentially down the road and especially if fanatics does away with certain things that people in the hobby love right like Gold prisms, or uh, you know, national treasures, RPA's, right? Things like that, all kinds of different things that go away now. You it's just the thought you don't have them down the road. Uh, you know, I think that one piece of information could drive prices up down the road. I think, again, you know, just fear of missing out on things, or fear of like things not being reproduced or, or produced in general. That is also going to drive the exclusivity thing, right? Look, look what happened with muscle cars when they did away with them for you know gas reasons or whatever it was, right? New cars, you. Know, changes in society those cards are still worth a ton of money just because they're so exclusive and they're so cool so i think as a whole you know the the cards especially the rare exclusive cards from now are going to appreciate like crazy down the road
0: i think the same way that people that collectors from the 90s you know going getting past the junk wax cards 90s inserts and parallels are freaking out of this world i still can't believe like some of the technology that um those card companies were able to use back then like they they panini was inspired by them panini took those same exact ideas 20 years later it's crazy um so the same way that people look and go out of their way to collect 90s inserts and 90s parallels people might be looking at that for for um for panini and in terms of panini's inserts and, and panini's parallels and panini gold prisms and gold select field levels just like how people still gravitate towards gold tops chrome refractors in basketball in the 2000s um i think it's this is just going to be like another another big era that people are going to be that people are going to be drawn back to and collect once again in the future if they ever stop for any amount of time um and what I think that the cards that were produced in this era will probably a, a lot of them will hold value, at least the rare ones, um, just because the amount of people that have entered the hobby from twenty twenty on, or maybe even late twenty nineteen on, during the Panini era, were it was just so, it was just such an unbelievable amount of people that has entered the hobby now like i have no idea how many collectors there are worldwide but i guarantee you this is going to be this is going to be the the time when people got back into it so people will will be looking back at into panini cards and panini inserts so you know we're kind of unfortunately we're seeing um i know a lot of people have been critics about uh of panini like overprinting or maybe just they just kind of do some things that don't make too much sense uh for the long term but uh there will be collectors of of panini cards in the future and that this era will be looked like you know just like how upper deck maybe not quite to the same extent but upper like how upper deck had exquisite in the early to mid to late 2000s um and how again tops chrome gold and 90s inserts like this is just going to be another golden era of cards
2: yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean those nineties inserts are unbelievable. So and things are cyclical, right? Just in society and, you know, economics, whatever it might be. So same idea, right? There might be some lulls overall, you know, in those periods that, you know, maybe some uninspired car designs, maybe there's a dip in passion in the hobby across the board, right? But as things start to come back and you really start to get into these golden ages, that's really when you want to pick up certain things that will hold not just you know, like financial value, but like those inserts from the nineties and upper deck, exquisite, these things are awesome, right? Like everybody wants them. And they're they're you know familiar with the products. They understand like the gravity of those products within the space. Same thing here with Panini's golden products or topp's golden products, right? People have that familiarity. Like you said, a lot of people enter the hobby 2019, 2020, 2021. So you're gonna be familiar with these players, these inserts, these parallels, right? And that hype, I think, will carry that value long term and just insulate it
1: do you think that fanatics doing what they're doing? And if they do get all these rights to all these sports, they're going to step into maybe what appears right now, like an industry that's leaving a lot of meat on the bone. I mean, I think about like Jesse mentions all these ads you might see. I feel like despite the fact that we all have a history of kids as going to the card shop with our dads, there's a lot of people that would do that. that just don't have the exposure to it. They haven't sort of been influenced to become a part of it, but if you see it in the stores in the mall, if you see it in stadiums, if you see it on TV, suddenly this becomes much more mainstream and sort of that experience is enhanced and more people are, are, are becoming involved in it. So wouldn't this, in a sense, grow the hobby quite a bit?
2: Yeah, I think that's inevitable, right? Like, And with Fanatics having more money, more influence, right? More, I guess, control over how certain things get done with these affiliations that they have, right? Even with the players associations now you have a company with that kind of, I guess, prowess, you know, from a business perspective and uh, resources, tools, whatever they might do, who says they won't expand globally? And all of a sudden, right, it's now a global thing as, as opposed to just, you know, obviously there are collectors around the world, but I think a lot of them are concentrated more in North America, right? So who says Fanatics doesn't do that, right, and, and, and makes it a global thing where, you know, exclusivity of certain cards really go up? like crazy because it's now something that they have influence all all over the world, right? All over the world. People watch the NBA, the NFL, you know, all these different leagues, right? Because they're the best. So what happens when you start enhancing that experience with cards and collectibles and things like that across the world? It's just going to be fireworks in the sky when it comes to that point.
1: Yeah, and we're we're definitely avoiding. We've done a good job, Jesse. We've done a really good job of avoiding stepping on one of the fear porn landmines. Okay, we've avoided it. We don't we don't want to we don't want to go too far. We've talked about it. We have a responsibility on the show to try to stick to more of the facts than the speculation of what could happen, because there are some negative sides to this that people believe, you know, for the hobby, for card shops, for things of that nature, potentially down the road with this. So big news, in a sense, a lot of speculation to be made, lots of things to happen in the future. You talked about bombs getting dropped on us. The Fanatics one may be the greatest bomb of all bombs, right? It was an asteroid that hit Earth. But here's another thing that was fairly significant as well. PWCC was recently banned from eBay, removed completely from the platform in an incredibly quick sweeping move by eBay because of what was referred to in documentation as shill bidding on the side of PWCC. What are your thoughts about that, Jesse?
0: Um, God, eBay has to read the paper more. If they just discovered shill bidding <laughs> from anyone, it doesn't have to be Pwcc, Probestein, or whoever. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand. I don't really understand the move um, just because I don't know the evidence. I don't have the evidence that eBay has. I My my first assumption as soon as I saw this headline, as soon as I got the email, I got the email before I saw anything on social media, um, before I saw anybody talking about it. I, I was thinking, okay, eBay knows something that we don't know. There has to be something big from PWCC executives or PWCC employees of very incredibly blatant wrongdoing. Um, that that provoked this change. I'm not saying that they were responsible for any of the shill bidding themselves because I don't have that evidence. I don't know. Um, and I'm not saying that they are. But my initial thought was eBay needs. They, they know something that we don't know. And that's why they made this move. But then again. PWCC is going to be launching their own auction platform on their website. So they already have the premier auction. I, we've mentioned this on previous shows where um, each card has an estimated v- uh, valuation of at least $25,000. Um, it's like a relatively small auction. They only have like a couple dozen cards whenever the auctions pop up. So they're going to, they were already planning on um, auctioning like even low to mid tier cards on their website in the foreseeable future. Um, I don't know if uh, maybe this was just kind of eBay kicking them out the door a little, a little early and maybe they had some other you know, plan or like trick up their sleeve or whatever of maybe that there's gonna be some, some auction house or you know they're, they're gonna get that revenue back somehow some way or maybe even make more. Than what pwcc was bringing them just because we don't know the exact figure that pwcc was on track to bring them this year but we just know it was a shit ton of money it was hundreds of millions of dollars so um i think i think uh there's there's it's not unreasonable to say that ebay already had some backup plan and that maybe it's in the works right now um but I mean, it's you know, again, everything is speculation unless we see a televised court battle, which I would, I would pay money, I, I'd pay pay per view money to see that. Honestly, <laughs> um, that just be so boring. I, that would be maybe, but maybe not. Maybe maybe, so maybe we'll we'll see we'll see Brent, uh, the the owner of PWCC, and uh, the CEO of eBay, just get into a slapping match. I don't know, but um, anything's possible. But I would. Um, I'm curious to see if this turns into a big legal battle. Um, uh, to be honest, Nate, you and I were talking about this pre-show. I'm not sure if it's gonna come down that way, just because PWCC was already gonna get off that platform in a couple months anyway. Um, I mean, maybe the worst worst they could do is maybe sue them for I don't even know, like defamation, and yeah, and maybe maybe the money that they lost of of um, from the ongoing auctions that were like going on as as this news broke um which they they probably did lose a ton of money from that um and obviously frustrated sellers of, of those cards um but yeah i mean everything everything speculation at this point i'm not going to point fingers at one way or the other i just want the evidence honestly but me personally i've had plenty of good deals with pwcc um i've been in touch with people on their side and i think i think there there are plenty of genuinely good people there um, that do care about you know you doing well through them and cuz it obviously it affects it affects their brand and i, I think companies should be very prideful of their brands these days um, so i i i can't i can't blame the i, I can't point the finger at pwcc necessarily i'm not going to go that route um, i just i would like to Have evidence presented in front of me before I I go on go against one side or the other.
1: Yeah, PWCC clearly was a monster in the industry. I mean, you didn't speculate on it. There was speculation on some social media platforms that it was 150, 200 million since the beginning of the year. Jesse, you have other information that might be even a more significant number than that. Nonetheless, they were making a ton of money. On eBay and getting deplatformed mid-auction, yeah, is a pretty big deal on their behalf. Who knows if anything comes of it? Um, we know that PWCC has said that they're getting attorneys together for litigation or whatever it is, but it's all yet to be determined. Until things get put into, you know, put into play legally, we don't know. But again, once they do. Something is going to come out. Some evidence is going to come out. And either somebody is totally full of shit or or PWCC is completely in the right here. It'll be interesting because one way or another, eBay's is just way too big. Like we talked about, Jesse, I think they constantly are probably being threatened with lawsuits or going through current litigations all the time. This is nothing new to them. Knowing that, though, they're probably incredibly cautious with the decisions they make. So to deplatform somebody in the middle of thousands of auctions, probably, uh, is a huge deal because it it fucked the sellers and the buyers and the users online. It screwed PWCC, you know, all these cards that they have some system to manage and where they go. Now they haven't sold. Now we got to move them back. Whatever they've got to do, it created a ton of work on both sides. So... A really ugly situation overall, Jesse. Ethan, do you have any thoughts on this PWCC thing at all? Yeah, I mean,
2: I think uh, it it obviously has a ripple effect on a lot of different things. You have to start to wonder, you know, the why behind it. Like Jesse said, um, you know, is it because eBay has something that they're working on? You know, and you start to look at it like, okay, well, clearly they found some alternative auction house or something that they're going to have ownership in or something like that, right? You start to speculate around that. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, maybe they can scapegoat it on the, you know, like their shill bidding, but uh, again, there's shill bidding everywhere all the time. It's you know, just regardless of auction house, uh, you know, even on one-off listings, you'll see shill bidding, right? Like you'll see something at 200 bucks, all of a sudden it's at $8,000 and it's one guy, it's boom, 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 you know, like increments, like why, right? So, it, you know, it happens all the time. I think that may be like a cheap excuse to do it. I don't know, again, I'd love to see the evidence, but I think there's something there uh, more centered around the financial side of things. That's my my kind of takeaway on this because, I mean, eBay's done what two billion in, in card sales and card revenue this year, right? Whatever it's been, something asinine. PWCC takes up a lot of that. You know, um, it, it just so you have to wonder the the maybe there are ulterior motives there, something around that. But I think it's also you know going to be uh, maybe problematic for some to say like. Oh, I've been, you know, some in the hobby, right, that are looking at this and be like, is this happening everywhere, right? It's going to maybe detract, uh, you know, some folks from entering the hobby because it's, you know, I'm worried about, you know, are these auction houses shill bidding, you know, so I have to pay more so they can make more money, right? When it comes to the trust thing. I think that's also something that, uh, you know, is very important in this hobby. So I think there may be some implications there. Uh, it might just be, you know, short term, it'll smooth over soon, but, that's kind of my initial takeaway. I'd love to get the evidence on it and really see cuz you know I, I never like to take sides unless I have all the information, but I think just my gut tells me it's it's very financially driven. There's something going on. You're probably going to see some big news around, you know, PwCC having their own thing and eBay having their own thing. They've you know, have acquired a company or whatever they're going to do themselves. So that's kind of where I see it going, but uh, I've been once you're wrong once or twice in my life before, so we'll see.
1: I think people have to appreciate the fact that we ended with the news this time. We ended with the news. We didn't. Uh, we didn't do too many, you know, defamatory things and say things that weren't right. So we're not going to get chewed out for that. Um, Ethan, it was awesome having you on the show. Uh, you're you're such an eloquent speaker. You think through things. It's just such a logical point of view too, which is really great. So. I'm glad people got an opportunity to listen to you. Where can they find you on social media? Do you have an Instagram? What's your Twitter handle?
2: Yeah, Twitter handle is at Ethan Motz, E-T-H-A-N-M-O-T-Z. And then on Instagram, I have my card page up as El Dudorino Collect. So homage <laughs> to uh, my guy, the dude, El Dudorino You know, I'm not into brothers, so that's why I chose that one.
1: That's hilarious. I think I remember you, you and I were going back and forth on what you should make it. And then I think that's great that you settled on that. That's hysterical. Um, well, man, I know, I know Jesse had wanted to get you on here and I I wanted the listeners to finally get to hear like this group of people that plan on launching this website. You know, obviously we have big goals and we're going to roll this out in phases. Phase one is going to be start this community, give people a place to meet up from there. We'll start rolling out other options. Um, Jesse, anything you want to add?
0: No, um, dude, Ethan, you knocked it out of the park. Um, I think you, you described the the foundations of the website very well. Um, and there's going to be, there's gonna be more to come. I'm sure there are plenty of, plenty of aspects of this website that, you know, maybe we're teasing at this point and we don't really want, you know, uh, there, there's going to be a lot more coming uh, with that website and dude, just kind of going through your, um, some of your investment strategies and, and, and strategies to make money and nuances of making money. I think people are going to find really valuable in this episode.
2: Appreciate that guys. It's been awesome. You know, thanks for having me on again. And I'm really excited about the site and everything going on. It's it uh, keeps me up at night. Uh, In the best way possible, I actually enjoy not being able to sleep now, you know, because I'm plugging away on things that are they're going to be fun for everybody to enjoy. So it's been great.
1: Awesome, man. Well, we will we will take all of your fantasy skills, everybody, all of your study, all that time that you spend away from your wife and kid because you're just obsessed with with cards or fantasy sports. We're going to take all of that and we're going to just put it into one place and let you guys find a way to to make money and and PC players for less expensive than you would have spent otherwise. All right, guys, we will be back next week on Clear the Cash. We'll see you then.